from a standpoint of should we look at the person holistically and part of every person there is a patient, but that doesn't define them as a person. So if we are carving out that piece of, of a person that's a patient, then we need to focus on what that piece needs. That's where I think we have an opportunity to really do better under this umbrella of a value-based care. With all the buzz of new innovations, it's easy to forget that healthcare is a people business in need of technology, not a technology business in need of people. From the organizers of health, we bring you Live at Vive, a podcast where we embark on curious conversations with prominent speakers, experts, and innovators in the trenches of healthcare. Join hosts, Dr. Gotham Gulati, Jessica Shepard, and myself, Jordan Schlain, as we seek to uncover the truth behind the inner workings of our fractured healthcare system and ultimately how we can fix it together. On today's episode, we bring you Ronnie Ketherpal, where we explore the future of value-based care in the context of retail pharmacies. Ronnie is head of value-based care partnerships at CVS Health, where she leads the build and execution of innovative alternative payment models and risk arrangements. While she encompasses a diverse array of experience within the healthcare ecosystem, her focus and area of expertise lies in designing and delivering patient-centric, outcomes-driven models that align provider and payer. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Shepard. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Jessica Shepard, and I'm here with my podcast co-host, Dr. Gotham Galati and Dr. Jordan Schlein. And we have the pleasure of joining with us today, Ronnie Cather-Paul. And you are here on the Vive podcast. Welcome, Ronnie. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Nice to have you here. Yeah. Yes, excited we are all excited. It's going to be exciting. We want to take a deep dive into what you do. And you are the head of value-based care partnerships at CVS Health. And what you do really is leading and building the execution of innovative alternative payment models and risk arrangements. Would you say that's a, a mouthful there? But that is, pretty that much is what a you mouthful. Do? Yeah, it's it's yes. <laughs> it's a if lot you of were to simplify <laughs> that, what would you say you do? I uh, I am focused on specifically kidney care and really working towards building models that really look at the patient holistically. And I think that's probably simplifying that. As much as I can. <laughs> no, I think that's a good. Can, can I just jump it. in there real quick? Absolutely. Uh, how do you look at the patient holistically when you're looking at their kidney? Because I know there's two yeah. of them. There's there somewhere is. behind the back that we can punch on. But I, I, I think of kidneys as, as like an, a, obviously a critical piece to the functioning of a human. But I, I would love to hear more from you on on how we think about a whole person through the lens of the kidney. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a brilliant question. So when you we think a bit about patient holistically, right, you're thinking there's there's two types of it. There's there's one of the patient as a person. And then the second piece of it is the patient from a clinical standpoint. And I think the question you're asking me is more from the clinical, but you got to marry the two. You got to marry the two. Yeah. So kidney is their primary diagnosis. Doesn't mean it's their only diagnosis. We know well, that- Well, kidney isn't a diagnosis. I mean- well, I, CKD I, I, is a diagnosis. No, so- Chronic, not, sorry. Sorry. Thank you. No acronyms. Chronic kidney disease is a diagnosis. So what does CVS stand for? 
customer Cut value, value service. service. <laughs> yes. That was never a great trivia question. I never that. knew yeah. that. But I just realized we I'm can't say acronyms. So we can't even say CVS here. We well, have to say customer value. CVS is a trademarked organization. <laughs> okay, well, so. we'll use that one. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back in the day, um, it was just you walked in and that was that was what it stood for. It was a retail pharmacy. So, uh, yeah, so thinking about chronic kidney disease and that particular diagnosis and thinking about the population of chronic kidney disease and the patient that's attributed to that population, there are several factors that contribute to not just chronic kidney disease, but also the progression of chronic kidney disease into end-stage renal disease. I'm proud of myself for not using the acronym. <laughs> Thank you. I'm listening. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And so part of that is this particular disease state hits very vulnerable populations, populations that don't necessarily have access to the best care, the best resources, you know, and, and so when you're looking at the patient holistically, you have to look at it from a non-clinical standpoint of psychosocial parameters, right? So how do we uh, help those that have psychosocial barriers and also financial barriers, right? So let's not disregard that piece of it. But also from a clinical standpoint, majority of these patients have at least three to four comorbidities or more that they're dealing with as well. So when you're looking at value-based care in chronic kidney disease and end-stage renal disease, you have to pay attention to the other stuff. And you, it's a podcast, you can't see me, but I'm using quotation marks with my fingers. And that stuff is both the other clinical diagnoses that they are dealing with, so comorbidities, but also what are the psychosocial factors that are contributing to the progression of not just the chronic kidney disease, but also the comorbidities that they're facing. I like that you brought in from a holistic standpoint, so many of the other factors when we think of a chronic condition or even a disease state is that fundamentally there are going to be factors that put emphasis on the disease state that a lot of times we neglected, such as social trauma, environment, neighborhoods and access. And so I think that's a, a brilliant way, especially from, you know, CVS to look at it that way. But how do you define that? So take one of those examples, say, financially. How do you target that specific condition that does impact chronic kidney disease? Yeah. So for a value-based care model, true value-based care is rooted in two things, quality and cost, right? And uh, so much of it, we look at first cost, then quality. I would challenge that we need to look at quality, then cost. In order for us to understand what the true cost of care is, we have to know what our desired outcomes are. And uh, then you work backwards from there. So that's fascinating. You know, the triple aim, if anybody knows what that is. Um, Just a little buzzword. <laughs> often, quad, often quadruple aim now. Now it's, it's quadru like and I And I always joke, like when you when you actually have a gun and you're aim or, or you have a strategy and you're aiming for something, you usually aim at one thing. So to have a triple aim, it's like, how do you, I mean... <laughs> How do you aim at three things at the same time? And so I think that when I try to like distill this concept of how do you, I think one, I think the triple aim is, is quality, uh, cost, and uh, access. I think it's actually what you really want is what is the outcome you want? And the fourth, I think, is that they added with satisfaction, right? Right. But, right. but, 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 but if, you, if you focus on the outcome and that is the only thing you look at, now in, your, in the case of chronic kidney disease, is if someone has a creatinine of, well, just this is a, a marker to know kidney disease of two, 
and you don't want it to get to three. Like generally speaking, you're not going to get them back to 1.1, but the goal is not to get them to Delay three. Delay progression. You want right. to slow down progression. So if that's the goal, you build a whole architecture around that. And I guarantee you, you'll lower the cost, you'll improve satisfaction, you'll increase quality. Like they all fall out from a design solely focused on the outcome with no barriers to- d- But potentially less revenue, which is a okay. challenge with our system. In the right? short term. In the short term. In so the short term. That, and so that's it. where you have to make these investments, I think, in stuff that is non-obvious. And it looks like you're losing money. But in the end, if you get better outcomes- Well, that's why you go after the highest risk patients, right? I mean, the biggest- The biggest cost in kidney disease are those patients that are currently on dialysis. But I take that one step further, and it's even costlier for patients that are not being monitored, that are in the later stages of chronic kidney disease, stage four, stage five, that crash into dialysis. These patients that aren't being monitored um, in their later stage of chronic kidney disease and go into the ER, then they get admitted, and then they're put on dialysis in the hospital. I want to play a little devil's advocate here. Yes. Is it more so the focus of that, or like Jordan was saying, prevention? So I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. So in the short term in value-based care, right, let's think of it, my mom likes to make hot milk, right? And there's that little stuff on the top, that cream on the top. The cream on the top in value-based care are those high-risk patients, But the milk on the bottom is starting earlier and really focusing on those patients that are in those stage three. And stage three is um, bifurcated into 3A and 3B, 3B being the later stage of stage three. And uh, if we start working backwards from 3B and go to 3A and then two and then one, what about those stage one and two patients? Where do we actually get those folks? And Quite frankly, those folks are not seeing nephrologists. They're actually seeing primary care physicians, right? So you have a whole primary care network that are taking care of early stage CKD patients that may or may not know how to provide resources, support, education to these patients that would actually be able to delay progression into CKD3. So from a percentage standpoint, oh, I'm sorry, chronic kidney disease. I was she was doing, doing so, so well. well. Thank you. She was doing. Thank I think you. I'm going to give you a gold you star. Kudos for that. I just want to keep bringing it home. <laughs> Leave it to Jordan. He's got like He's this right. little buzzer where like, right. you don't even know. I, my goal is to get less than five tickets from him today. So we're I think only I'm at two. Or two. Three. I think I'm at two right two. now. Two. So. Now, if you were to look well. percentage wise, I don't know the answer to this, yeah. and you may not either. When you're thinking of chronic kidney disease in the stages, what stage has the highest percentage? One, of- two, three, four. So that's a tough one. I mm-hmm. it's in the earlier stage, and I don't know the exact breakout. And I should, and I'm. But you, but no, but but it's it changes. But I will say that the highest cost levers are in the stage four and stage five. So that's from a cost perspective, but just general perspective, they are going to be in those earlier stages. So one and two, Mm -hmm. one, two, and three. Actually, because I I think again, going towards prevention, yeah, most of your population is going to be within the one and two, Mm -hmm. and eventually we do need to focus on that's right them because I think medicine in general for so long we focus on that severity well, of treating disease treating the state. patient, right? That's right. what medicine is all about. You all are physicians. You know, you were trained to treat patients, not to prevent disease. But we are shifting that in value-based care, right? We are shifting that. And that's really, truly what it is. And, and I think, too, I mean, 
the, the digital technology piece of it and the innovation that's happening on the digital front, as much as I would love to say that all of that will hit those later stages, where I think there's a great marriage of digital technology that's being developed is really in that earlier stage and being able to capture those patients and be able to monitor those patients and provide virtual resources and apps and and that's uh, often catching that them stuff. in the home as they're well, catching them in, in the, the home center, and right. and that's another thing right value-based care is i don't think we talk enough about the patients so i mentioned about five minutes ago that value-based care is quality and cost and we need to focus on quality but what i didn't say is that value-based care is quality cost patient and that's the narrative that i think we need to change we need to have more patient focus and part of that patient focus is capturing the patient in the setting that they're most comfortable in. And oftentimes, they're most comfortable in their home, right? And especially in vulnerable populations, right, where you are uh, dealing with patients that don't have these access points and, and are not able to get to their physician's office or dialysis centers on time. Dialysis is very regimented. It's for life. Right. There's no end date to dialysis. They're often getting dialysized one, two, three times a week. Some some of them are daily, which is unfortunate. And a lot of times they're not making their appointments. Right. So can we bring dialysis into the home? Right. And that's what CVS is trying to do is is really change that that storyline of instead of getting the patients to go to the physician's office and gosh, how do we get them there? How do we get them there? Well, I think how that do we get to the patient? Was how do we get to the patient? So how does the patient get to us? Uh, the, that yeah. model was a failure from even from days when I was training and, uh, you know, in hospital systems, you're in these very large, you know, tertiary care academic centers. And then patients would have to take like two buses, one train just to get take off work. Oh, it's, and it's, yeah. you do need to meet the patient where they are in their communities, in their home, in churches, Whatever it is. This is the beauty of CVS because you guys actually have footprints in the geographical areas, so I, which, which gets me into a different question because I'm always curious about the thinking behind the machinery. And CVS is a machine-operated institution. The rationale and thinking behind pursuing and prioritizing kidney as your first play in value-based care, because I'm sure you're probably going to expand it into other areas as well. What's the thinking behind that? Is it because you had a ge geographical footprint in those neighborhoods, it was the highest need. You saw the greatest impact from an outcome standpoint. Like, what's the thinking behind how you guys perceive I, that? I think it's all of the above. So we have amazing brand recognition, right? I mean, I don't think anybody's going to argue that point. 85% of the U.S. population lives within 10 miles of a CVS retail That's outlet. That's 85%? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And many of those locations have our health hubs and minute clinics in it. So... Can we integrate that into caring for a patient, whether it's kidney disease or anything else? Absolutely. And should we? Yes, absolutely. Right. Um, what percentage of those communities are are customers of the health hubs? You know, do you know what? I don't know that exact statistic, but I can get it for you. Not all retail outlets, as you know, have health hubs or minute clinics in them. So um, they're they're strategically placed in areas where. Um, there's a large population that need access to that to that sort of service. I have a health hub by me. I just used it actually the other day, and um, I was quite impressed. I, I, I had never stepped into it, never used the Minute Clinic, and I needed an antibiotic, and I did not want to deal with like my doctor's office. And I said, I'm just going to go in and get my antibiotic. She wanted different. 
And <laughs> I did. And it was That's so convenient. I was literally, I landed at the airport at three o'clock. I made my appointment for 4.30 on my way home from the airport, stopped and got my antibiotic. And I, I took my first antibiotic by five o'clock. I mean, if that's not great convenience, and that should that shouldn't be an exception, that should be the norm, right? And not just when I need an antibiotic. What if I need a blood pressure check, or what if I'm experiencing symptoms that are related to my disease state? Can they triage? Like these are all things that you know we're thinking about, right? So CVS and- should really be CCVS. <laughs> customer convenience value service. I think we should bring that back to the board. It's, oh, by the way, by the way, I I'm think sure, implicit I'm, in the word customer is if you're not convenient, you're not going to have a customer. That's true, which so, is why 85% of the population lives well, within so, 10 miles. So I want to go back to something you said earlier, just yes. to, before I forget, I wrote okay, it down. Okay. Is we, we talk about value-based care. I hate jargon and buzzwords, but value, if I ask 10 people, I'm I ask them what value means. Again, this is one of these words that like is a container for an idea and everyone's got their own ideas for what's in that container. Now, why wouldn't we change that word to outcomes? Because I think everybody knows what an outcome is. It's something in the future that hopefully is like it went once you related to yourself. So I would call it outcomes based care. If I could, if I could change the world, I would make it outcomes based care and then hold everybody to that fire because value. It's it's personal. Well, it's also financial. It implies there's money to be made in them our hills if I if I do this well. And now that's true. And I think a lot of the business people think value-based care, there's money in them our hills. They don't immediately go to there's better outcomes for patients. Like you can have hold both of those ideas in your head at the same time. But like if you're out here and you work for a, a, a company that like looks at quarterly earnings and financials and stuff, like I, th- there is not a quarterly outcomes report that you see. It's a quarterly earnings and a revenue report that you see. I, I agree with you on the outcomes piece of it. I would challenge you on the definition of value. Value is very personal. And I'll give you a very personal example. My aunt, my, my, my dad's sister, is a dialysis patient. She's been on dialysis, gosh, for as long as I can, I can remember. And she recently, she recently got acquired COVID at a facility. She was at a dialysis facility. And she was hospitalized and, and that sort of thing. And then um, they were talking about daily dialysis for her. This was just a few weeks ago. And my cousin, who is, he doesn't live with her. She lives alone. She has um, two uh, mentally disabled twin sons in their 40s that have lived with her entire life. She's a single mom. And he supports her from a distance. You know, they're about an hour apart. And I was talking to him and just kind of getting her progress. And she was getting discharged. And his, his whole conversation with me revolved on how come... How come I can't, I I was not informed. There was no communication as him being the primary caregiver to her about any of the plans of what she needed to do when she got home, the discharge plan, what her dialysis schedule was going to look like, because he's making plans for these, for his brothers to go live somewhere because they're mentally disabled. And his definition of value was not at all financial. His definition of value was just information and communication had nothing to do with money. It did, The money part was not an issue. It was like his definition is like, I have two kids and a wife at home that need my attention. Now I have to like drop everything because my mom is in the parking lot in a wheelchair. I'm an hour away from her and I've got to drop everything 
and go get her. And there was no planning. There was no, these dia- the dialysis center did not tell him when she was going to be leaving. I mean, it was a, it was a mess. It was a mess. Yeah. Value is and, exceeding and so value, beyond what you expect. Value is not always financial. When you're a payer, when you're a provider, value is two different definitions. That's what I guess I'm but saying. From a patient perspective, from a patient, but yes. for him, it was not even outcomes. The value is not about the outcome of his mom. It, whatever's going to happen with his mom is going to happen with his mom. His definition of value was personal to him. So his value time, holds different placements it, it had, for different yes. people. And so now I think we're getting into semantics, but I just I, I do that story because I, I challenge that value has one definition. And that's oh, no, no. What, what's, that's my point is yeah. value has 90 definitions. That's right. That's and so right. when you use a word that has 90 definitions, guess what? It has no definitions. That's right. And so therefore, I, I and you. so that's what I'm saying. And, and so, you it's know, vague. yeah. And so Gotham yeah. and I did a, our, and I've said this at another podcast, so I, I won't say it many more times, but we asked everybody to define what health meant. No, in let's five do words. it. Let's go through the exercise. Uh, you know, so yeah. So if I asked you to define health in five words or less, yeah, I, I'm kind of putting you on the spot. What <laughs> no, is, there's no right or wrong. No, there's no answer. right or wrong. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, we have, yeah. a, we, and, and we'll give you the summary of sort of what other people have said as well. And you already know this, right? You heard it yesterday. So what is health? If, you, if I had to put you on the spot, and I am. And then I'm going to ask you what is healthcare next. So I'm going to okay. separate these two okay. two words that are very five often. words or less. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask concise. Uh, as well. Okay, okay. Mm. Being well and staying well. Okay. And what is healthcare? The process of being well and staying well. Oh, very good. By the way, that, like by the that. way, that's you, as close that, as someone's that's gotten. That's as close to as it. someone's gotten to what we think is is the right answer. And so, our, so kudos <gasps> to five. kudos to you. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell your CEO. You can tell her. I'll tell her. So, so our definition of asking multiple people, kind of the distillation is: is health is what is who you are and what you can do for yourself to to be well. And healthcare is when you can't do that and you need to go somewhere and have somebody else help you do that. And, and so, but what's interesting is when you talk about healthcare, if you ask people with healthcare, like everyone's got a different definition. And so it's, I think it's really important to get into semantics and drive home. We're all talking about this is a pen. Does anybody think it's something else? It's called a pen. No one thinks it's something else. I'm holding a pen for those of you who can't see me. Um, <laughs> but that is the fundamental challenge. We all think we're solving for the same problem, but we're defining the problem very differently. Right? Yeah, so yeah. A hundred different definitions. Right, right, right. So I think as you talk about value-based care, I, you know, I think I think you know a challenge to you and an opportunity for your team is maybe re-architect the language a little bit so it's not so. Amorphous. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I think it all leads to outcomes. Did you say I don't disagree with I you? I don't disagree with you. Do you know what that means? You. No, it means I, I agree with you. It means really? I agree with you. <laughs> and people hate agreeing with me, so they say it I don't disagree. so much better the way you said it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm married. I have practice. <laughs> I'm taking notes. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, I think I think that when, when you start with outcomes and you work backwards, that's what your care model is revolving around. So when you when you do predictions around savings for value-based care, let's talk about money for a second, right? You are giving a range. And it's not an exact number, it's a percentage of savings, right? Because you can't you can't predict to a cent. You people try, and we do try as well. But it's it's much more accurate and it's kind of ironic that a percentage is a range of percentage is the most accurate you can get, right? But that's really as accurate as you can get in a shared savings model. So when you're doing your financial projections on whether you're going to engage in uh, a value-based care agreement, you're, you're talking in a percentage language. But outcomes are not percentage. Outcomes are exact. 
So when you're saying I want, I want. Well, it could be percentage. It could be well, it, yes, deviation but, from baseline. No, percentage. that's right. Well, so so yeah. Let me let me clarify that statement. So when you are talking about hospitalization reductions, right? I want fifteen percent hospitalization reductions over the next six months. That's a very tangible KPI, and you have those numbers, and you you take fifteen percent and you decrease it, and that's your actual tangible number. Same with ED visits, right? Same with optimal starts. Those three are the quality metrics that. Medicare has put out for their demonstration project, right? Their um, Center for Medicaid, Medicare Innovation. And those are the three quality metrics. Now, those you can predict on a tangible basis, but those should all lead to your shared savings. Should they not? Right? So, so to your point around, should we change the vernacular from value to outcomes? Yes, I agree from that standpoint, because it all leads, it all starts with outcomes and ends with outcomes. The savings happens in the middle, right? So... I'm I'm trying to trying to bring some solid yeah. you know yeah, no, uh, like examples it. to I your like to your I like the way that you're challenging Jordan. Well, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> all around. Well, I like to say I like to argue like I'm right, but I listen like I'm wrong. Oh, and that and that's and that's I like how that. and that's I like how that. I, I get better at you know being humble. We need that on a T-shirt so I can wear in front of my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, but he has to wear. Well, you know, it. My, my mom, my mom who's a psychologist, my mom who's a psychologist. <laughs> that's funny. My mom who's a psychologist. She says, look. You can be right or you can be in a relationship. <laughs> it's just that simple. <laughs> I so, love that. So, I love that. So you just have to, you know. There is so get, much truth to that statement. You, you have to just get down to, to, uh, to first principles here oh, in life lovely. and in relationships. And that's, by the way, and by the way, you know, back to kidney care, you know, these people, you know, their kidneys are connected back to their whole self, right? And n- nobody wants to have a kidney disease, but when they have one, you know, how do you project out for them like their future like in a 10-year increments, right? I think we always think about things in these short-term increments of, okay, you must get dialysis three times a week. And then like, but do we ever go into like the deep future and say, hey, look, if we do these things and, and these, then in 10 years, you'll be the same as you are now. But if you don't do these things, let me tell you what you're going to look like in 10 years. I mean, how do you give people a, a version of their future self so that they can act on these things that they really probably don't like doing right now? I think there are a lot of people that are trying to do that now, more so than ever. You know, the nephrologists we work with, I know all of those providers are uberly dedicated to educating their patients. Part of what CVS is doing to partner with our providers is is building that care team. Part of that care team in an absolute situation every single every single care team we have has a social worker and a care navigator. They work in tandem. We have to educate these patients. I would even challenge daily about if they don't do this, then that will happen. I believe it needs to be right? a daily mantra. It is, yeah. If if you don't do this, this will happen. So, by the way, just to interrupt you, because I had a yes. fascinating conversation over dinner last night about if you had to ask someone a question to get to know a core truth about that person, what question would you ask? So, we went around the table and everybody came up with questions. And I've got a, somewhere in my bag here all of those questions. But one of the questions that somebody asks is like, what lights you up? Like, what, what do you love to do? Right. And, and by, you know, and someone will tell you, like, I love rock climbing or I love to be with my kids or big thing. 
when you tell somebody if they don't do things, these things will happen, the things that we're saying will happen are going to be physiological, biological decrements, uh, or they're going to lose something. But we frame it in terms of medicine. If you figured out what they loved and you said, you're not going to get that, this is why you do this. I think you know, now you're anchoring a little bit more into now social workers. I don't know that they ask people what they love, but I mean, I just think there's a another way to get at. Well, get, we've learned yes. that from a smoking so, so cessation, the, right? The fear based tactics ultimately don't work they but don't when you work. associate it with, well, my loved one is now being impacted by it. That makes the difference. It's motivational interviewing. Right. It's motivational conversations. That's 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 exactly what it is. And so when I say we have social worker and care navigators, they're not they're obviously also focused on the clinical psychosocial stuff. But marrying those two roles leads to motivational interview. You have to be able to link them to what is personal in their lives outside of their disease. And, and that's what and I would say. That's exactly models what you will, can yes. be a personal model, that's right. an individualized model, that's right. and can really align that provider-patient relationship. Going right back to what I said about outcomes-based care or value-based care, whichever whichever term you're going to use, has to have a patient-focused component to it. It has to be quality, cost, and patient-centered. Those are kind of your three components to make something just, just to add a whole other kind of element to the mix is anybody with chronic kidney disease is a patient. People who don't have chronic kidney disease that walk into the hub is a person, right? So, so I think the language around patient, nobody wants to be a patient like that. That's got a negative, it's loaded with some negative stuff there. Like I'm, you know, I mean, until I'm a patient, I'm not, but we always say everyone's a patient. No, no matter if they're totally healthy, I, mean, I guess maybe no one's ever totally healthy, but we always have something cooking beneath the surface. But but I, I feel like, you know, even like challenging, you know, you at CVS on like maybe we should get rid of that word patient, except for when people have a known disease. Yeah, we, um, we, we use the term patient and we use the term consumer. Um, well, so I don't like the cons- I was, word consumer. I was in a dialogue about this um, no in another health. conversation yeah. Nobody around. Nobody wants to consume a disease. You know, talk about when does a consumer become a patient? And, you know, how do we delineate the two? And to your point, I actually, I like the word person too. I mean, because it is, it is. But if you do separate them, then. The first C in CVS, is that customer or consumer? See, I think customer's better. Customer. But then does it sound like a person is better than a patient? If not everyone is a patient, Jordan? I, I don't discriminate between better or not better. I would say one has a known, handicap's the wrong word, a known deficit in their physiology but then it becomes a mark like oh i'm a patient and you're a person that, but that's what i'm saying well you well we could say this person's under medical care right I mean, if you want to remove the stigma altogether you could just speak language of what is happening versus try to find some heuristic that shortens it into like a negative connotative word this person's under care the people under care in the healthcare system you know it's not a system by the way it's a it's a i call it a freako system not an ecosystem because it was not designed in any way shape or form and we're still trying to figure it out but no i, I just think it's an interesting way to like you know i, so I don't believe there are consumers in healthcare I don't. That was a question posed to me out at a same summer kind of social gathering. Well, and I don't, I, I don't, whatever CVS decides to call their people is above my pay grade. So, but, you know, from a standpoint of should we look going back to like, should we look at the person holistically and part of every person there is a patient, 
but that doesn't define them as a person. Correct. Right? That's a great way to okay. say it. So, so I think we can all agree there. So if, if we are carving out that piece of, of a person that's a patient, then we need to focus on what that piece needs. And that's where I think, that's where I think we have an opportunity to really do better under this umbrella of a value-based care. Well, with that being said, I wanted to thank you so much for your time today because I believe that value-based systems really looks at a person or a patient's preferences, needs, and values. That's really the core of what we're trying to understand, meeting them where they are, going to their communities, to really fine-tune that relationship between a provider or a system, a provider or the system within the healthcare system, and that person. So I thank you again for sharing with us really your insight and your expertise, as we would see it, even if it's outside of kidney. And we were delighted to have you here. Well, thank you. This was fun. This was very Thanks fun. for joining us. Thank yeah. you for Thank you me. so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for putting How up with I me. How did I do, though? Did I less you did than great. Five? Okay. You did great. Less than five tickets, right? That was the goal. Thank you all. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you're still here, I'm hoping it's because you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. We'll be releasing new episodes regularly. And to stay on top of the hottest topics, simply subscribe to Live at Five wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review. This podcast is a product produced and mixed by Well Played Media in partnership with Health, the organizers of the annual Vive conference. Remember to subscribe, and if you have an idea for a non-boring show in health or medicine, email us your idea at hello at wellplayed.health. Are you interested in seeing and meeting many of the guests we interview on this show? Be sure to check out viveevent.com and join us at next year's conference. See you next time.